Under the Dome Radio for Season 1, Episode 7, Imperfect Circles. Welcome back to Under the Dome Radio. It's the go-to podcast by and for fans of the CBS television show Under the Dome. And this is episode number 14. And we're going to have any links or things we discuss in this episode in what we call the show notes over at underthedomeradio.com slash 14. Since this is the 14th episode, it's a numbers thing. Under the Dome Radio is produced by mediavoiceovers.com. That's me and sponsored by our affiliate links at underthedomeradio.com. In addition, there's lots of ways that don't even involve money that you can show your love for the Under the Dome Radio podcast. Just go to underthedomeradio.com slash buff. It's going to be a great 14th episode of Under the Dome Radio as we will always go on the air talking a little bit about what we liked and found interesting about Imperfect Circles episode this week of Under the Dome. Then we'll make a visit and go at the tower, the section of the show where we play your feedback. And of course, we can't leave out our broadcast section. It's that part of the show where we thank the folks who are helping get the word out about the Under the Dome radio podcasts. And then near the end of the episode, we will be in the dome, that spoilery part of the show where we might discuss some differences between the book and the TV show, just a few this week. And we might even tease next week's episode. So if you're looking to be spoiler free, be sure to skip that section and go right to the end where you can hear us have some fun at the end. Excellent. And me, I'm Wayne Henderson. I'm the voice acting, podcasting Packers fan who, even though not being a fan of country music, once did some club DJ work. So I can count them off into the uh, electric slide with the best of them. Five, six, here you go. As long as we don't have to see you doing the electric slide, that's okay. (laughs) No, that's another thing to add to our list, Troy. No country line dancing on the podcast. Well, as Wayne said, I am Troy Heinrichs, the bike riding, tech teaching, world traveling, Green Bay Packers fan also, who now knows after this week to never question a woman holding a knife. No, it's not romantic, no matter how they portray it on TV. Corpse or not. So be sure to call the Under the Dome radio listener voicemail line at 904-469-7469. That number again, Wayne? 904-469-7469. That's right, 904-469-7469, or you can even send in your audio feedback directly from your computer. That's right, you can go to the computer, go to underthedomeradio.com, use the send voicemail button over there on the right-hand side, and new this week, we actually added that voicemail button directly to our Facebook page. Oh, yeah. But you do have to be on the desktop version of the site, because for some reason, the mobile app does not support page tab apps. So, but if you're on Facebook, on the website, on the computer, uh, feel free. You can just hit the speak pipe button right there at the top of the page and send in your comments as we post all those great pictures and links to the Facebook fan site. We are ready. And we're going to jump right into On the Air. That's the segment where we're going to talk about this week's episode, Imperfect Circles. Some of your favorite parts. We're going to just jump right in. For me, you know... How many Chester Millions can we fit into bedroom scenes before the credits even roll? Okay, I actually really liked Nori and Joe in the bedroom together when it started out. I mean, she is living in the house after all. And it shows that even in this darkened, trapped existence, humor is yet still alive under the dome. I must say that kind of creeped me out at the very, very beginning. I'm like, what is going on? I like, It was kind of reminiscent of the Back to the Future scene when uh, Marty comes in in George's bedroom. 
And he's like, you know, hi, I'm from the planet Vulcan. <laughs> he's got the radioactive suit on. But then it cuts right into Barbie, Barbie and Julia. Oh, do we have to go there? Oh, not necessary to move the story forward at all. No dialogue in the entire scene. The whole thing just felt wrong and way too drawn out for us to believe that there was any attraction there in the first place. I mean, at least with Joe and Nori, attraction is very clear. But Julia and Barbie, man, it's just a hookup. And Barbie should have been a man and told her about Peter's death before that happened, in my honest opinion. So in this case, Barbie's serious downgrade in his character cred. And we actually think Big Jim now looks like a good guy because of it, because Barbie's just a sleazeball. <laughs> in comparison, at the moment, I'm sure things may change. I thought it was kind of random how they, all of a sudden we've got this pregnant neighbor we've never seen before, Harriet, and she's hallucinating about her husband and thinking that maybe the dome was gone. So she's going to go over and say hi to him. I'm thinking, no, 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 no. This looks too good to be true. Yeah, and we're introduced to Harriet rather abruptly. I mean, I've heard of borrowing a cup of sugar or maybe an egg or something from your neighbor, but yogurt? Kind of weird, hey? Well, when you're pregnant, I, I hear that you have cravings. I don't know. Definitely. Um, but see, the, the thing with this scene was a little strange because, number one, it, it didn't look like the dome was there at all to begin with, first of all. That's part it, of the hallucination, I would think. Maybe. No. But then if the dome is there and she's aware that the dome is there, he would have been on the outside of the dome and she's on the inside of the dome. So if the dome wanted her to touch the dome to spur on the birth of this child, you wouldn't have been able to hear the dialogue coming from the husband. The husband should have been like waving and hey, hey, but no audible tones coming from the husband because we were at her perspective inside the dome. So the scene didn't really work so well to me. Um, I think it should have been more like the Linda and Rusty scene where she like goes and then tries to make out with her husband and then it would have gotten the shock and the zap would have happened and the baby and the water would have broken. It would have just gone on as planned. I think it would have played off better if it was more Linda Rusty like than the way it actually did. Yeah, and that was kind of a whole sub story, I think, to the whole episode just kind of put in there. To me, one of the big things was how Big Jim is actually chastising Junior because he's such a psychotic psycho. <laughs> As, as Steve McGrath would say, you know, locking up Angie and stuff. That's usually a little out of the society norms. And Big Jim is just calling him on it and even smacks him upside the head. I know. It's like we have this new wave of parenting where you're not supposed to do corporal punishment. I mean, it's bad enough to smack your kid in the first place, but then you smack your adult son. That's definitely going to have some big ramifications, I think, coming down the pipe. Yeah, Junior... He's got that look in his eye. The, the actor does a great job that any time that Junior Rennie is on the screen, I'm a little nervous because I never know when he might just snap. Well, and it plays off as he goes to talk to Linda and eventually Barbie in the police station because he definitely wants to go help take out these Dundee brothers. And I don't know what he was thinking about at this point because, you know, he, he really seemed like he wanted to go catch them, but then it just kind of switches gears when he's driving along with Linda later on. Well, you know, as soon as soon as Linda Esquivel told him that the Dundee brothers were possibly going to uh, rape Angie, then that's when Junior's like, "Okay, let's go get him." And <laughs> why do people keep giving him weapons? I don't know. I mean, wasn't there the exchange of "No, I'll take the sniper rifle, you get the pistol"? <laughs> they changed guns or something, and I was like, "Really? Give him the heavy artillery? Oh no! Look out!" Well. He kind of took care of business and all of that good stuff. He's got his agendas and all that. You know, I've kind of got a question answer time. I like to have at least one of these every episode. 
And my question this time around for you, as well as the listeners at 904-469-7469, how creeped out were you by the scene of Angie visiting Rose's body there in the diner? Super freaked out, Wayne. I mean, like almost grossed out at a point because, I mean, Rose is laying right there in the kitchen. The health inspector is going to have a field day with that. (laughs) There goes that A rating. Oh, where are the people going to get their sandwiches and food when the grocery store runs out and the health department shuts down the sweet briar? There's a little bit of a continuity error here, though, because the blood is on the floor right by the counter. You would think that it would have dried up a little bit more than it was. It still looked pretty fresh. I'm wondering if maybe because the diner was so dark, it doesn't dry up so fast, or is the dome behind it? We could blame any continuity error on the dome, I suppose. Is that where we're going with? No, I'm going to go with. I think that was just an oops. Gotcha. Well, it was great to see Ben, a.k.a. John Elvis. Yes, it was. He played a really interactive role this week, actually. And instead of just being Joe's friend or kind of the tag along, which really isn't a bad thing, he kind of manned up. He stood by Angie, even though Crazy Junior told Ben to leave. He was like, no, man, I don't think so. Yeah, he he just got a little bit of a glimpse from Angie and could tell... Angie's subliminally telling him, no, no, d- d- don't leave. Uh, you know, my dad says, Junior, you're not supposed to be around me. And yeah, Ben, manning up. That was a really, really good scene, considering the whole thing was dark and creepy. And you got to think, on a side note, you know, Stephen King, I'm sure, is watching these episodes of Under the Dome, since it's obviously based on his book. And I think he's very pleased with this episode and the scary, eerie music and the cool camera angles and all just the goriness and suspense. Yeah, I almost thought it was directed by Jack Bender this week, but we found out it actually wasn't because it was great how they filmed this interaction between Junior and Ben. I mean, I wasn't able to find the actual listed height of the actors in a team roster or anything. Sorry, football season's coming up. Oh, yes. But they did shoot it in such a way that made Junior look so much taller than Ben. And even the look on Ben's face was like, oh, crap, did I just stand up to Junior? And he kind of takes a step back in that scene. Great, great filming and direction in that scene, I thought. It was really well done. And I, I know I've been seeing a few little things on Twitter and stuff. Apparently, some people think that there might be some sort of romance between Angie and Ben. What, just because there's this dead body and the knife and he helped bury poor Rose? Yeah, what are we calling them? Are they Banji groupies or are they Benji groupies? I mean, I know Benji was a dog back in the 70s and 80s. So maybe not Benji, maybe Banji is better. But yeah, the fans really seem to love them, and it might be an interesting pairing down the road. We'll have to wait and see. But not as long as Junior's alive, it's not going to be very romantic. No, but I mean, could you imagine the Thanksgiving conversation? So, how did you two meet? And Ben goes, (laughs) well, I met her in a diner holding a knife over a bloody corpse. It was love at first sight. That's the cranberry sauce. Yeah, I'm sure that when they left the diner that night, they're like, you know, someday we're going to look back on this and just laugh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So... (laughs) <laughs> going on, going on down the road, you so know, to speak, so to speak, you know, <laughs> so the, you know, Harry's water breaks are in the car. They're driving down the street. You would think that the car could at least go a little bit further after being gas jacked. I mean, they didn't get all the gas out of that tank, right, Wayne? It's impossible. Uh, and yeah, everybody that I've talked to basically thinks, you know, they could go a little bit further that there's definitely got to be, I'd say, 10 or 15 miles of gas left in there, maybe even more. But then again, they did say that the uh, clinic was closed for whatever reason. So I don't know where they would have driven to other than maybe just over to uh, Joe's house. Yeah, maybe they were still like um, delousing or 
cleansing the clinic from the meningitis outbreak and didn't want anybody to get any more meningitis. That, that makes sense. But they could have thrown all those barricades out of the way and probably made it all the way to uh, Joe's house. But, oh, well, let's blame it on the dome. Yeah, but why gas jack? Why not just steal the car? I mean, really, siphon the gas later. Rule number one of crime, don't stand in one place too long. I mean, <laughs> seriously, otherwise you're going to get a Barbie coming up from behind you and kick the crap out of you a second time. Now, how do you know about these rules of crime? <laughs> Are these like unwritten rules? Yeah, it's, it's like the, the, you know, the fight club rules. You know, rule number one, don't talk about fight clubs. So I'm just not going to talk about how I know about crime rules. End of story. Okay. <laughs> Well, we're going to move along there because I thought that even though this is really out there in the episode, I liked it, how it was portrayed on the show with Big Jim Rennie. He he's getting drunk and he proves, in fact, in case anybody did not know that propane is kind of dangerous and flammable. You, you might even say kerplooey, right? Absolutely. It also tells you that drinking and driving, number one, very bad. That, do not do it. No. Number two, drinking and shooting is even worse. It, one, yes. One stray bullet the wrong way, and more than just that car and one tank of propane would have gone up in flames. It's kind of a bit over the top because Ollie's going to know who actually did that shooting. So kind of what is the setup for the Ollie-Big Jim relationship? So those were all kind of cool, but they're still kind of the subplots because now let's get into the meat of the imperfect circles. This is stuff. some... Amazing, geeky, just incredible stuff. Break it down, Troy. Get us started. So, Joe and Nori, great idea to find the center of the dome. Yeah, why didn't we think of that before? Duh. I mean, really, I mean, Dodie could have found it in the first place. I mean, she's the one that had the smarts to build some kind of trans center locator device. But I really, really love the banter that Joe and Nori have at the dome. But at least it's it's a better pairing than Barbie and Julia. And she's a lot less goth in just one week's time after maybe she used up all of her goth makeup and it's trapped somewhere. But let's go ahead at this time and talk about the elephant in the room, Troy. Lost style geek out moments all over the place. I mean, a dome within a dome with something that looked like an egg inside or is that the new Apple TV they're teasing us with? What's going on? Because now the conspiracy theories can really start happening. Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely is a new Apple TV. I mean, they made the new MacBook Pro in that cylindrical shape so that it has a better cooling mechanism. Oh, wait, wrong podcast. We'll save that for call-in later for MacBreak Weekly. <laughs> but we digress. But, I mean, it was kind of cool that it was an egg-shaped thing, right? Because it was throwing it right back to the opening sequence of the pilot episode where that bird kind of cracked its way out of the top of the egg in the nest. Oh, so, good call. Catch. Yeah. So I, and, and here's the big thing, right? You remember those, like those dolls where they kind of stack up inside of each other, big doll, and then a smaller doll and a smaller doll and a smaller doll, or, or like when you open up a present and there's a present inside of a present inside of a present. That's what I was thinking of. So I, what's to say there isn't another smaller egg inside the black egg, which is inside of the small dome or mini dome over the big dome now at the same time let's not get crazy and assume just because it's shaped like an egg that it is an egg it looked very reminiscent of another show that you might have done a podcast for it just wasn't silver in shape with one of those metal suppositories that the observers used on fringe no it wasn't one of those and it wasn't necessarily a hatch leading to an underground bunker with the, the numbers 4 8 15 16 23 42 carved on it 
but very, very much very reminiscent of that type of thing. Nonetheless, you know, and when you were talking about the dome within a dome, I'm wondering what if, if it hasn't happened yet, if it maybe happens later, maybe an even, even bigger dome comes down around the whole state or maybe even the entire country of the United States of America. Or the whole planet. Okay, let's not get carried away. Okay. I was just thinking dome within a dome. You never, never know. So, it, go ahead. Yes. What were you going to say? I was going to say, you know, back to the thing that looks like an egg, and maybe we can call it an egg, but that could be a red herring. But it's got the pink stars falling in lines, but they're going upwards. They're kind of like pink stars rising in lines up to the top and exploding. It, it kind of reminded me of a little miniature version of a uh, fireworks show. Yeah. I in mean, slow it was motion. Like, maybe there's like ants or something inside watching fireworks go off, and it's like, ooh, yay, pretty. But then we're all on the outside going... Yeah, meteors maybe streaking towards each other to collide in one spot. Probably not such a good thing. Yeah, so we obviously we have no idea what that whole scene necessarily means. But I do definitely want to give another huge shout out to the very visually creative scenes in this part of the show. Well done to the visual effects crew. Amazing. Absolutely. And the thing that I really liked about this um scene where nori and joe are kind of leaning over and it's like you know you know start command and they're like speak now and they're kind of giving these you know siri type commands if you will or google voice commands to they kind to, of the, to the egg seems like old dos commands or something yeah exactly me. begin program <laughs> go to 10 repeat 20 um but it was really great how they actually gave us a camera angle from the perspective of the we'll call it the egg i guess okay that's what everybody's been calling it that i've seen in the community so far not me um so they're they're basically going from the egg and they're look it's looking up at joe and nori so it almost beckons is there an entity or a camera or something because why would you give that camera angle if there wasn't a purpose for giving that camera angle so I'm just going to throw that out there that maybe it's kind of like somebody's in the egg a la like when they went in that movie. What was it called? Uh, Being John Malkovich. Crazy movie. Yeah. When they slid into John's brain and got the sea out of John's eyes. It's kind of like that. So I wonder if there's some kind of eyes that are on Joe Nori at that point just going, "Uh huh, I'm down here and you're not. Let's have some fun. Let's play a game. Or maybe it's not necessarily an entity. Maybe there is just... Maybe it's like a little security camera for whoever put in the dome and it knew that somebody would eventually come across this uh, hidden dome underneath the pile of leaves. And so it's got just a camera in it, maybe not something or person or entity inside. We, you know, obviously we'll eventually know, but I just want to throw it out there. Let's not focus on sometimes the least obvious is what happens. Of course, on the other hand, sometimes the most obvious is what happens. So I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but I think what it, you know, if it ends up being some kind of camera, then maybe the pink stars are more like a cleaning, a, a new finagled cleaning system where it just kind of recalibrated the lens and cleaned itself off from all that mud and dust that was falling on top of the outside. Could be. Yes. And, and then when Joe and Nori are done, they kind of cover it back up with leaves and things like that. Yeah, the leaves didn't stay there for too long. It seemed like they slipped right back off because we got to that shot at the end of the episode where the egg was still definitely visible. I think it's because once they cleaned the egg, it was 
like shinier and slippery. And so the, the leaves just rolled right off it. I don't know. Definitely. Definitely. And there must be something with the way the light kind of reflects or refracts off the dome or this mini dome because I see almost dead people. <laughs> yeah, well, well put. So, I mean, again, this is a big shout out. Thanks to Lost. We're going to forever have these images burned in our brain going forward now. And I think any storytelling concept will be directly tied back to Lost forever, which is why when Alice showed up right there in the woods after Nor- Nori and Joe touched the mini dome, I totally yelled out loud, holy crap, Alice is going to die. And my wife was like, what are you talking about? And I totally said before this episode was done, Alice is going to be dead. Mark my words. And I shouted something similar to the television in regards to I knew that, uh, you know, because Alice has been having troubles. Insulin's hard to find. She's been just kind of feeling bad the entire episode, even though she's trying to help. Uh, give birth to what turns out to be the new Alice. Uh, no relation to anybody that was on that TV show back in the late seventies. Alice. No, that, definitely not. That was a definitely. whole different thing, but I agree. I, the fact that we can see these apparitions, you know, whether evidently you can't necessarily touch them and we don't know why the dome or whoever's behind the dome is making these things happen. Or if it's just making somebody subconscious do it, answers will be ours, but maybe not necessarily this season. And it kind of goes back to the beginning of the show then, because now I have the question about Harriet's husband. So is Harriet's husband alive? Is the husband dead? There's no real, you know, direction around, you know, how this is playing out because now we've seen potentially, we're kind of introduced to the apparition in the wrong direction, right? The first apparition should have been Alice. And then they could have done the apparition of Harriet's husband. So I think they kind of messed it up a little bit on how they did that because the reveal wasn't the same. But I know if you were a Lost fan, you were definitely like, holy crap, she's going to die. So, Wayne, I'm going to trade you an Alice for an Alice. What do you say about that? I thought it was kind of strange how they, she came up with the name for her baby that easily. I mean, it's a minor detail. I just thought it was kind of strange. Her husband... If he does make it back, if the dome ever leaves and her husband comes back, Harriet, where's our our baby? Well, she's born a month early and I named her Alice. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, it's it's a spur of the moment decision. I mean, she's literally like she's hungry, so she needs to eat yogurt, right? So she's hungry, gets zapped, her water breaks, she gets gas jacked, and then she's got to give birth on a couch to a person that's not really even a true OBGYN. So, I mean, it's pretty much a miracle that the baby came out. So, why not give credit to the person that delivered the baby? I mean, I, really, if anything, she should have named it Barbie because Barbie's the one that cut the umbilical cord and actually got the baby out safely. Okay, okay. I, I think there's other ways to thank people than just use their name right away. But this is another lost callback for me. It reminded me you know, so much of the episode in season one when Boone dies on the very same episode, even close to the same moment that baby Aaron is born. So thanks again to Lost. We've got new life coming in as as another life passes on unexpectedly and keeps the balance. Absolutely, because we have to keep the population of Chester's Mill at 2,000. But wait, we already had a bunch of people die already, so does that mean more babies are coming? Well, maybe not perfect balance. Well, you never know. I mean, there were so many people in the bedroom at the start of the episode, those babies could be just popping out like nothing. Oh boy, Troy. Twin alien babies from Barbie and uh, Julia. We'll have to wait and see. 
Now, the Lost comparisons don't end there. And folks, I I know we bring up Lost a lot when we talk about the show. But in this episode, there is no denying the Lost callbacks. Because we've got Nori yelling at the dome, you know, tell me what you want. Yeah, I mean, definitely reminiscent of John Locke right after Boone's death. You know, it was very hard to miss if you're a Lost fan. But more importantly, the entire musical montage that kind of finishes the episode before the big 30-second dun-dun-dun moment before you go into next week's, you know, trailer. So, I mean, definitely the whole, like, last 20 minutes scream like I was watching an old episode of season one of Lost. You know, literally from the beginning to the end, it was like I could be sitting here watching Jack and Kate and Sawyer, but instead I'm watching Alice and Carolyn and Nori and Joe and even just then um, Angie finally reunites you know as the music starts to swell with her brother I mean it was just it was all really well done and especially as they kind of break everything up and kind of move through that sequence the music just kind of added to it and then boom cut to the egg and the pink stars or pink lines or pink something you know that we'll have to wait and see what that actually means and they are kind of making Barbie, my, my son pointed this out to me, they are kind of making Barbie a lot like Sawyer on Lost. Oh, I mean, definitely. I mean, he started off, what was that, season, episode two with his shirt off? Well, and it was de- it was definitely the Sawyer replacement. I'm not going with that part of it. I'm talking about how he's, you know, like, the, he's got this wild past, and he's done all these crazy things, and now just all of a sudden he's, like, settling down, hanging out, like, like Sawyer did with Juliet. All of a sudden there's domestic, you know, bring home a, Daisy or whatever flowery brown, but let's get back to Under the Dome. Um, excellent episode. Um, what kind of rating would you give it this week, Troy? I'm gonna give it eight out of ten. Extremely spoiled, hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> okay, only very, eight. Well, it was very black. You know, I mean, how long has that egg been sitting out well, there? Yeah, I would say if it is an egg, it could be spoiled. But at the same time, only eight out of ten. Only because of the following two reasons. Number one. Barbie and Julia together in bed. Really? I mean, six or seven days after meeting each other for the first time. Oh, and by the way, you're still married, which yes. was clearly evident when she's holding her wedding ring right in his face. Can you say awkward? <laughs> that, that, that is the most frustrating episode. And, and writers, if you're listening, you know, we, we, we know what you're trying to do, but let, let's calm the heck down with this part of the story. It's, it's distracting and it is turning some people off. Um, in I fact, mean, yeah, I mean, it goes right into my second point, because during this awesome musical emotional buildup, Carolyn saying goodbye to Alice, Nori begging the dome to bring her mom back. They cut to a shot of Julia and Barbie sitting on the couch together. Totally not necessary to be in this shot sequence. I almost also didn't like the inclusion of Big Jim and the townsfolk arriving at the explosion of the truck either. But I kind of let that one slide because it's like a bonding moment of the town over a tragic event. So the tragedy in the musical montage makes sense. Barbie and Julia going, ha ha, yeah, we're awesome because we delivered a baby, just not where it's supposed to be. So because of those two things, I dropped it two points. Oh, okay. Otherwise, it would have been a 10. That seems fair enough. And just kind of on the Barbie-Julia thing, I, this is going to sound kind of strange, but I think it would be pretty cool if Julia's husband, who recently passed away, may he rest in peace, I think it'd be cool if he came back as a zombie or as you know an apparition from the dome or however have him just come back kind of like jack's dad did on lost have julia's husband come back and just kind of haunt her so that would be a great bedroom scene I, right i think so she you, deserves to be haunted for the it's like come on 
well, I think Julian Barbie should be in bed, and then Barbie kind of looks up at the mirror, and boom, there's Peter standing in the mirror. That would be cool. That would be cool. Let's. That would that would make the bedroom scene relevant. All these other things not relevant. Take yeah, it so. out. So I had the same minor frustrations in the episode, but I only dropped this episode one point. I'm going to give this one a solid nine out of ten. Journeys to the center of the dome. I like that one. I'll go with that. So we're about eight and a half overall. So if you agree with us or disagree with us, give us a call 904-469-7469 or just plop it on the Facebook page. Tell us what your rating was this week. And if you'd like to give your rating for next week's episode, definitely drop it on Facebook, send it to us on Twitter, uh, pound UTDR for the hashtag, or just make sure you include at UTD radio podcast in your tweet so we can get your ratings for next week. So in the broadcast section of this episode, we, we do want to thank some folks um, who were helping get the word out about Under the Dome Radio. Uh, this past weekend, just a few days ago, I was a special guest co-host on Stephanie Week's TV Rewind podcast this week. I know that show. Yes, I, I know. I'm being a bit of a copycat because you were on there just a few weeks ago. But I wanted to be a guest co-host as well. She's doing this special thing all summer long. So you can hear me and Stephanie talk about all sorts of TV show news, not just Under the Dome. Just check it out at tvrewindpodcast.com. It's also in iTunes, and we'll have a link in the show notes, again, at underthedomeradio.com slash 14. Also sending big thanks to those who left reviews of Under the Dome Radio and iTunes this week and or marked some other reviews as helpful. It's always helpful to mark other people's reviews as helpful because that's the thing we all do because we're all in this together. Thanks for the reminder, Big Jim. We appreciate that. <laughs> Underthedomeradio.com slash iTunes is your quick and clean way to get over to iTunes and drop a review yourself because they're definitely helping out the show. Yes, and in addition to iTunes, you know, since Under the Dome Radio is also available in the Stitcher smart radio app that's uh, on smartphones as well as in some car in-dash systems, I want to say a special hello to Mr. Ben Affleck. Ben. If you're listening, we'd love to chat with you and discuss your theories about Under the Dome. Wait, what? What What on earth makes you think Ben Affleck is listening to Under the Dome Radio? Is there something you're not telling us? It makes perfect sense. Check this out. I'll have a link to this article at underthedomeradio.com slash 14. It's from Access Hollywood. They did an interview with Ben Affleck, talked about his top 10 favorite iPhone apps, and the Stitcher Smart Radio app was like number five on there. So he is listening to podcasts and other things like that. And so, Ben, thanks in advance for listening to Under the Dome Radio. Just saying. And then make sure you donate some propane while you're at it there, big guy. Yeah, we got a very generous uh, donation of a propane sponsorship this past week from listener John. That is very helpful. That's going to keep the station rolling just a little bit longer. Yeah, only about five episodes left in this season. We'll have to uh, hold tight and hang on because it's going to be a wild ride to the finale coming up just after Labor Day. And yes, people, there is an Under the Dome on Labor Day. So make sure you get home early from your family vacations or last weekend barbecues. Yes, priorities. Where I, think we... it's I think it's time now, right? Time I... to go over at the tower. Why not? Yes, let's go at the tower and find out what the listeners' thoughts and theories are about imperfect circles and other related objects. Well, we're getting some email because, you know, it is on Amazon Prime Instant Video. And, of course, this was our first week of the Time Warner CBS dispute. 
So we wanted to make sure that people had enough time to watch the show, get in feedback. So one piece of feedback to wrap up last week's episode before we move forward is from Denise. And Denise writes, uh, very much enjoying the podcast. I had a thought about the rain in the last episode. Jim had made an arrangement to get water from the farmer guy, Ollie. Shortly after it starts to rain, everybody is quite surprised by this, except for Big Jim, who shows up and he's like, yeah, woohoo, we all got rain, go get some buckets. You know, so she kind of forgot the exact quote, but it was something like that. Uh, and I think Jim had something to actually do with the rain. He just didn't seem surprised that it was going on after he had just gotten his hands on a source of water. So, yeah, it was quite a downfall from the previous week's episode, but I'm suspicious that he just sort of waved it away. And uh, anyway, just a theory that she was thinking about. Looking forward to more podcasts. Keep up the good work, Denise. Thank you, Denise. That's interesting. I didn't look at it that way. I'm going to need to watch that episode yet again. Well, we know there's cameras inside the egg, so maybe it is Big Jim watching from his office as he drinks his bourbon. He's drinking all kinds of things. That guy's, he's out there. He's definitely out there. Greetings to you there under the dome. I am still really enjoying the show, both the television show as well as the podcast, though I have been remiss lately sending in remarks. Anyway... There is so much going on with this show that I feel I need to watch every episode at least twice to catch everything. For me, at least, that is a good thing. This past episode, Imperfect Circles, I think is the biggest departure from the book so far in a lot of ways. Junior would seem to have accepted that he and Angie are not going to be an item, but I don't think that storyline is over. I just hope that Angie doesn't get too comfortable and stops watching her back. I am not liking Barbie as much as I did during the book. Here's a guy who worked for the mob, killed Julia's husband, and is now cohabitating with her. And along with that, Peter isn't even cold yet, and she is taken up with Barbie, and she seems to know that he was up to some unsavory things. As intelligent as Julia is, I would think she would be a bit more cautious. It's a good thing for the entire town of Jester's Mill that the Dundee boys are out of the picture. Junior made sure of that. But I really cringed when Linda handed him that AR-15 weapon. It is too bad that they aren't going to face justice, but then again, I think justice and due process is going to take on a whole new meaning in the town as resources become even more scarce. The character I am most fascinated with, though, is Big Jim. He is an enigma to me. He obviously cares about the survival of the town and wants it to survive, but he is definitely a force to be reckoned with. I cannot but wonder if Ollie wasn't the football player that he had tangled with in the story that he told to Barbie a few episodes back. Ollie tried to blindside him once again, but thanks to the help of a good dose of liquid courage and his hunting rifle, he made his bargaining chips secure once again. I am afraid that Ollie is going to be the next victim of the Big Jim hit parade. Pun intended. Joe and Nori found the apparent source of the Big Dome under a smaller dome and have automatically assumed that it is not of this world. I'm not sure about its source, but with so much departure from the book, I am wondering if at the end of this show... The dome generator was responding to Nori, or if it is something even more sinister that is getting ready to take place. Well, there it is. 
Those are my thoughts for this week. Kapla. Jim, thank you so much for producing that, sending that into us because a lot of great points in there. Interesting. I'm trying to picture Ollie being that much younger and if he was a uh, showboating type of wide receiver. He just, you know, he's probably in, you know, maybe four years older than Jim. He just looks a little rougher because he's out on the farm. It, exactly. That, that's what we're going to go with. That, that would be an interesting and you get full credit um, if that uh, comes out to be. But I especially love the phrases liquid courage and your own dome justice. What do you think of dome justice, Troy? I think it's going to be the norm because, I mean, there's really no judicial system left in there because you have uh, what Big Jim is the council, the entire town council. And then you have Junior, who's a, a person on the police force. So if Jim ain't going to kill him, Junior's going to kill him. So, I mean, that's exactly what's going to happen there. But I would be careful about referring to the egg as the dome generator because, you know, we, we think that that might be what's going on, but we're not quite sure yet. So just be careful. The egg might be something else and the dome generator may yet be somewhere else. Another excellent point that you brought up, Jim, is the fact that Barbie is not all that much of a hero, at least yet. I mean, he's done a few heroic things, but he's definitely a flawed hero, at least at this point. Agree. So we will have to see. There's many more episodes to come. Hello, gentlemen. This is Lorene Romero from Windsor, California. Just to give a little bit of thought about this week's Under the Dome. First of all, wow, was that totally not cool? I loved how there was a dome and then there was more under it. This is getting to be deeper and deeper and deeper. Gotta love that. So happy about the baby being born. How exciting. New life in a traumatic time. Hmm, wonder where we're going with that. So, so sad that we lost another one of our characters, and I really have to give the channel a shout-out for not only having an interracial couple, but a lesbian interracial couple shown as a real heartfelt set of characters who important in this show, also being able to demonstrate wonderful parental skills. Love the fact that they actually kissed on television. They didn't try to hide it with a big hat or pillows or do anything like that, but that CBS was forefronting enough to acknowledge that this is a family. Again, great show. I always love to see what the last 30 seconds of it is, and it did it once again. They did it right at the very end. So thank you, both of you. You're wonderful. Can't wait to hear your Under the Dome radio podcast for this week. And I will keep listening. It really is the only show I watch live. Is that amazing or what? TiVo rocks for everything else, but I have to watch Under the Dome live. Thank you, gentlemen. Looking forward to what you have to say. Bye-bye. Thanks again, Lorraine, for calling 904-469-7469 and sending in that great feedback. And I totally agree. I mean, we are definitely Star Trek fans over in this corner. And, you know, it was great to see the first interracial kiss on Star Trek be on television. Um, but, yeah, definitely an interracial, you know, same couple kiss was definitely something I wasn't quite expecting. And, uh, you know, kudos to CBS for leaving that in and, just uh, making sure it wasn't edited out because it was probably definitely written for the Showtime side of things. And I really think they are really, really moving this thing along to try to challenge cable over there at CBS with Nina and uh, bringing this show over. So absolutely fantastic to you know, make that point home, especially just as before Alice dies. Oh, and Lorraine, really, really yes. Thank you so much for your additional voicemail. It was good to hear from you. 
So we did get some uh, Facebook feedback this week. Um, listener John, again, thank you for the great donation of uh, a propane tank sponsorship. But uh, John writes, uh, he actually was missing the episode on Monday as he was out on vacation. Got back and actually watched the episode um, a couple days later, uh, just before we recorded this episode. And uh, he was really, really excited about the episode. He thought it was really well written, very moving. Uh, definitely liked Alice's passing. And, of course, Nori's acting was awesome. Love the series. Thanks for sending that in, John. I definitely agree. I think Mackenzie Lintz really, really knocked it out of the park this week. She was funny. She was flirty. She was serious. She was emotional. She definitely brought her A-game this week, and I really love her character now. And she is changing from that kind of you know, kind of hobbled goth girl that we saw at the beginning of the um, uh, series. So I definitely think she's going you know, you know, leaps and browns, you know, especially is Joe bringing that out of her? Is the dome bringing that out of her? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But Mackenzie Lentz, if you're listening, great job this week. Keep it up. Hi, it's Kevin Size and Warren. I'm Randolph, or I guess you could say I was Randolph on Under the Dome. Going back on Imperfect Circles. Yeah, I knew Junior was a tad off, and I knew Big Jim was a bad guy, but I didn't know either one of them was that bad. And then maybe with all that's going on under the dome, Randolph is better off not having to deal with all that stuff. Enjoy the Under the Dome radio podcast. Kevin, a familiar voice. Thank you so much for calling in. Kevin Sizemore, ladies and gentlemen. Officer Randolph, who I think did not get a fair shake on Under the Dome a few episodes back. Thanks so much for calling. Great to hear from you. Yeah, definitely awesome. If uh, any other actors are out there from the show that want to call in, we'll definitely take your uh, either send voicemail feedback via the website or via the uh, 904-469-7469 phone number. But uh, yeah, I think it's really great that um, you know Randolph kind of pegged these two. I don't know what's really going on in this family, and I think we're going to see some very interesting things coming down the pipe. We kind of teased it from the Comic-Con panel last week. You know, there's something going on. Either Big Jim's not right in the head or he has a drinking problem causing his anger or Junior's got some kind of thing that's coming down from his mother, maybe mm. some genetic defect or something that's causing him to be crazy. Uh, we'll definitely have to wait and see. But, you know, I still think that if Randolph was still on the show, I think Randolph would have killed the Dundee brothers too. Yeah, he would have taken care of business and then we wouldn't have to have Junior with a weapon necessarily. Absolutely. So I got a question for you, Wayne. What's another way we could let folks know about the URL of our website, that little web address that people type in? Is there a different way that maybe we haven't heard before? I believe there is. Under the dome radio.com. Hi, I'm Sophie, and I just pushed a button. But yeah, I would love to say that it's a great show. It should totally win the Teen Choice Awards, so everyone, please vote. And I love Under the Dome, especially Colin Ford, also known as Joe. It's a really great show, so thank you. Thank you for sharing. Bye. Hey, Wayne and Troy, this is Rick from Wisconsin for the Under the Dome podcast. I wanted to say this week's episode started out pretty good. I liked the interaction between Junior and Big Jim. It looked like Big Jim could actually make Junior, you know, do what he said. Seems to be pretty domineering as a father and and able to smack him down there. Andy's going to go find her brother. Good for her. Uh, I liked this scene where she meets up with Benny and uh, buries the rose. 
that was nice. But I was uh, disappointed later with the writing uh, when Big Jim, you know, alcohol and good decisions don't usually mix. And he uh, has a little too much of one and goes and decides to take out this guy that was working with his uh, his old childhood chum there. And I really kind of expected him maybe uh, to be taking him on directly instead of just taking out his henchmen. But I guess that means he's a major character that's going to stay around in the show and, and not get blasted out early. I really didn't care for some of the other scenes in this episode. I think uh, Julia and uh, Barbie there are moving a little too fast, and it's kind of uh, seems awkward and everything doesn't just doesn't quite seem like it fits right. As soon as uh, Junior decided to go with these guys to help out because he thought he could talk these guys down, I turned to my wife and said, uh, pretty sure both those guys will end up dead with Junior being involved in the situation. I'm wondering how Chester's Mills is really going to maintain order with uh, basically two deputies there. They actually do need more, but uh, Jim, Big Jim doesn't need to be the guy in charge. I'm thinking maybe he's got more propane stashed somewhere else because he seems kind of smug about that whole situation. But a little sad for Nori losing her mother, although her mother wasn't one of my favorite characters anyway. So for me, it's not a big deal, but for the character it is. And I'm waiting to see what comes down the pike. I just was a little disappointed with where I thought some of the writing could have been a little better this episode, but I guess I'll hang in there and keep watching. Thanks. Rick, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate you giving us a dial there at 904-469-7469. Some great points there. And yeah, it was interesting how after Big Jim caused that fire and explosion he kind of disappeared and then he came back again it's like whoa whoa what's going on this is a tragedy <laughs> a little strange there big jim definitely i totally agree and again rick always got great thoughts uh love that he's from wisconsin of course my home state so definitely keep it coming rick you know you definitely add to the show absolutely love hearing from you each week Definitely. So we definitely appreciate that. And unless you have any other feedback that came into you, Troy, I think let's head on over to In the Dome, the possibly spoilery part of the show where we're going to talk a bit about the book and other stuff like that. In three, two, one. I'm in a mini dome this week. How, how do you get inside a mini dome? Just really squished down. It's a lot of Pilates and yoga. Okay. Got to be flexible. So there were things that tied into the book, but totally differently, Troy. And I, uh, I know that you're all over this. Yeah. So I really love that they kind of kept Joe and Nori, even though they had a little bit bigger posse in the book, uh, going on the hunt for the quote-unquote generator. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, we don't know if the egg is the generator, but at least they kind of kept that Joe and Nori going out there. And it was really great because in the book, as they go to find the generator out at the orchard, they basically start to find these animals have gone kind of crazy and ballistic, almost like they were insane and kind of ran themselves into trees and stuff. So it was kind of interesting how Truman the dog started freaking out kind of in that similar manner yeah. as the animals were freaking out in the book. Oh, and by the way, I have to say, it's kind of a coincidence that the dog's name is Truman. You remember that Jim Carrey movie, The Truman Show? Anyone? Okay, maybe it's just a coincidence and not really a plot clue, but it, it was just kind of... Truman, oh, hey, that kind of rings a bell. Well, he was his whole town was kind of in a dome itself. 
Absolutely. But I think it might just be a coincidence. I mean, there's there's a, a lady in our neighborhood who walks her dog, and his name is Truman, but I don't think she's tied into the show. No. But it goes back into that whole kind of camera concept. You know, there were all these cameras in different places inside of the Truman Show dome. Maybe that egg again is a camera and keep an eye on things. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, I definitely love that they still get shocked when they touch the generator. That was the same as the book. Uh, but for book tie-ins, that's pretty much it for this episode. Uh, we're also about six days in at this point, and we have not yet had a, the big town hall meeting that uh, Big Jim puts together in the book or some of the other things, but it doesn't mean that they might not come up later on. Again, the book is the bones. doesn't mean it has to always ap- happen in the same order. Right, uh, exactly. Yeah, because we're definitely coming up on the last kind of calendar day of the book where the book itself kind of resolves. So we're going to have to come up with some more teases or something for this sec- this section, especially as we move into season two next summer. Yeah, and listening to the audiobook of Under the Dome, you know, 34 and a half hours, it almost lasted longer than the real time that was in the book. It's like, events occur in real time. I know that show too. Yeah, 24, another awesome show. Totally unrelated to Under the Dome and not many Jack Bauer shout outs on Under the Dome. But what was really cool is that on Facebook this week, because we got, for some reason, we had this miraculous pop of 100 new followers on Facebook. Thank and a you whole bunch of Definitely. Thank you. And a whole bunch of new Twitter followers this week. So we have a Facebook friend, Bryant. He actually was trying to tie some of this book versus TV show angst together for us. And he sent in a really great message. Wayne, I'm going to let you go ahead and read this one. Oh, okay. And I, I thought this was fantastic. So Bryant... Let's gush over your uh, message, and thank you for that. He says, hello, Troy and Wayne. That's us. Um, I just wanted to pass along a bit of info which you guys may already know about, but then again, you may not, hence the message. It pertains to the quote-unquote controversy which has popped up mostly within the Stephen King fan community regarding the numerous ways in which the television version of Under the Dome is different from the novel. Personally, I tend to be okay with the changes made for movie television adaptations. They can bother me at times. A good case in point is the television version of King's novel, Bag of Bones, which wasn't a very good movie in its own right, and B, was a complete failure as an adaptation. For the most part, though, I'm able to draw a line between book and movie and either enjoy or not enjoy the adaptation on its own strengths or weaknesses. So what I wanted to offer is a way for fellow Stephen King nerds like myself to maybe find a way to ease back and enjoy the TV version of Under the Dome, or not, on its own. And I can use two of King's own books to do it. Now, a brief history for those of you who may never heard of this book. Back in late 1996, King released two novels on the same day, Desperation, which he released as a Stephen King novel, and the Regulators, which he released under his Richard Bachman pseudonym. Both novels feature the same villain, similar concepts, and some of the same characters. Here's the catch. They took place in entirely different universes, and as such, some of the characters were kind of the same, some were almost totally different, and even had different names, different outcomes, and different fates regarding whether they lived or died. A non-spoilery example... John Marinville is a washed-up novelist in one book and a popular children's author in the other. Mary Jackson works at an accounting firm in one and as a poet in the other, and so forth. 
My point is, for those Stephen King fans who are finding it difficult to forget about the book, Under the Dome, while watching the TV show, try this simple trick. Pretend it's based on the unpublished and non-existent, as far as we know, Richard Bachman version of the story. Or, for you Dark Tower fans out there, it's taking place on a separate level of the tower from the one where the novel's taking place. Neat? Right? Definitely. I think that is a really great way to think about it, and I never put it that way until I started going back and thinking about um, 11.22.63 from Stephen King, which I'm currently in the process of reading. And at some point in the book, he actually, uh, the, the, the main protagonist. No spoilers, book, right? Because I'm on no, page one. <laughs> no, no, no spoilers. <laughs> okay. But the, ma- but the main protagonist, um, when he goes back in time, actually drives north to a town called Derry. And as he's describing the mood of Derry and the things that happen in Derry, I almost felt like I was reading the book It. So he's using another form, another book to describe another book in another town hmm. and then all of a sudden the, the main protagonist which goes by the name George Amberson later on when he's in the past um, he actually starts to write a book called Murder Town that's based on Derry and Dallas the two towns that he's visiting uh, while he's in the past so I, you can kind of see here how it's a book about a book about a book so again Stephen's doing this himself in his own writings so why can't Brian K. Vaughn and company adapt this one in much that same similar way. So I personally, we read the book. I think the TV show is doing a great job. And I actually like looking for how do they take it to a different level and make the twists. Exactly. And again, Bryant, that was very well written. We appreciate that because that may help out some of the Stephen King fans that are, like I've used the phrase before, up in arms over all the changes. I myself, I don't necessarily think it's going to be the alternate universe thing. But hey, if that's what it takes for people to enjoy the TV show Under the Dome on its own merits, then that's that's a great way to go. So thanks again. And, uh, you know, be sure to check out underthedomeradio.com. We'll have links to our Facebook page, our Twitter page, and all the different ways that you can kind of keep in touch with us. They will all be listed there. And speaking of Under the Dome Radio, this is a great time to remind anybody with the powers that be that we are open for syndication and advertising opportunities. Please just email me, wayne at mediavoiceovers.com. Thank you. The email is ready for you. And before we go, again, we just want to remind everyone that Under the Dome Radio is not affiliated with the Under the Dome TV show, CBS, Amblin Entertainment, or Stephen King. But hey, if anybody's out there and can help us out with making us official, we're definitely here for you and ready to take on the challenge. Absolutely. We, we would love that. But this has been a cram-packed episode. Lots of theories, lots of ideas, and sharing some of our favorite highlights from the episode We thank everybody for tuning in and listening to Under the Dome Radio, for subscribing, staying subscribed, and all that good stuff. But we're going to head out for now, even though that was such a fun discussion. We're heading out, but, you know, it took a little bit of propane, but the discussion continues on. Absolutely, and especially with all of the new additions to the Facebook and Twitter community this past week, we want to make sure that you all can keep the conversation going. So head on over to Facebook.com slash Under the Dome Radio or follow us on Twitter at UTD Radio Podcast. Use the hashtag pound or hash UTDR so we can find your tweets faster. Let's keep talking about the egg or the generator or the whatever it is, <laughs> camera lens with the fireworks show going on in it. What do you think it is? Keep the conversation going, and we can even include those in next week's episode. 
And of course, be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes or in Stitcher. Leave a review or at least a rating in iTunes. It definitely helps out the show. And of course, while you're at your computer, take a few minutes. Find out a way that you can support the Under the Dome Radio podcast by visiting underthedomeradio.com slash love and check out that right-hand sidebar because like our good friend John did, a propane tank sponsorship is just two clicks away. That would be really nice. And we want you to let your voice be heard. You know, send in your thoughts so you can be included on the next episode of the podcast. If you don't already have our phone number memorized like we do, you can put it into your smartphone and have it ready for right after the episode ends Monday night or whenever you get to see it. Call 904-469-7469. All the details are on the site. And dome heads. Don't forget, we want to see even more pictures of you with your dome-related photographs, whether it's you standing under a dome or inside a dome or next to a dome or anything tied to that. In fact, it reminds me, I just came up with an idea for my own dome head picture that uh, hopefully I'll get taken care of and posted on the website at underthedomeradio.com slash domeheads very, very soon. So while we get ready for the next Under the Dome Radio podcast episode, stay in touch. You will always find us lost out on the fringe trapped under the dome